So the reading this morning is 1 Peter 4, 7 to 19. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 19. And that can be found on 1154 uh, in at least some of your church Bibles. I've just found out this morning that I'll be reading from the New International Version, the version that you may have in your uh, pews, as it were, is today's New International Version, which has some slightly different nuances, so don't worry about that if what I read from, which is the old NIV, um, has some slight differences from the version that you might have in front of you, which is the new NIV. So it's 1 Peter 4, 7 to 19. So the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. I think it says alert and sober-minded in the today's version. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anybody speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So I want to look at these verses and I just want to have maybe five different headings or five different kind of things that we want to look at. And I think the first slide will just give a bit of an overview. So I just want to just think about some facts about Peter. So Peter is writing this letter, or somebody representing Peter is writing this letter. Let's just remind ourselves of some facts about Peter. Then I just want to have a little bit of wild speculation about Peter. If that's not helpful, don't worry. It was helpful for me to wildly speculate. And then some more facts about Peter. Um, Then we're going to look at the way Peter reminds us of what it means to follow Jesus. And that might be helped by a shed, by pointillism, and two dogs. And then we're going to think, what do we expect when we do these things of Jesus? And then what we should do about what then happens, at least in some circumstances. 
So just thinking about this person, Peter, this person that wrote this letter or somebody that representing Peter wrote this letter. Peter, if you remember, is the person that walked on water. He was the person that got out first, the only person, I think, um, got out, jumped in the water, walked on water, reckless faith. He was the person, if you remember, who was the very first person to be able to say and recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. He was the first person that got it. He was the first person in there. He was the person that, if you remember, when they came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was the person with the sword that was struck off um, the person's ear. He was a a kind of go-getting kind of guy. He was the person, actually, that asked Jesus how many times he should forgive somebody. He wanted to limit the amount of times that he should forgive And he was the person that quite often in front of the rest of the disciples would actually tell them that he was probably a bit better than them. And in fact, right towards the very end of Jesus' life, he in fact said, even though all these guys, even though these disciples uh, may well just run away from you, I will die, I will die before I ever give up on you, Jesus. So my speculation would be that here's somebody who's pretty confident, pretty self-assured, quite status-driven. Clearly, he's outspoken at times, strong, uh, driven, ambitious, charismatic, kind of an alpha male. Um, Not wishing to be sexist, but we we do have that term, alpha male. Um, And I'm kind of thinking, I don't know if you ever watch SAS, Who Dares Wins. Um, If you do, there's a guy called Ant Middleton who used to be um, the head of SAS, who does wins, he was from the Special Boat Service. Kind of, you know, that's the kind of guy I can imagine Peter would be. Um, or thinking about kind of from the TikTok generation, and this is controversial, but if you think about, and you know somebody called Andrew Tate, if you can imagine Andrew Tate became a Christian, if you can imagine Andrew Tate full of the Holy Spirit, full of the glory of God, full of Jesus... Well, he might look, they might look a little bit like Peter. So here's Peter, here's this man who says he's, he's not going to fall away from Jesus. And what does he do? Well, we know he denies Jesus three times. And the third time he denies Jesus to a little girl. Um, and, and what happens? What happens to Peter when he's denied Jesus three times? Well, we can find that in Luke 22, verse 62. Luke twenty-two sixty-two. 62. He denies three, Jesus three times, and he went outside, and he wept bitterly. He was ashamed. He was really ashamed. He was overwhelmingly ashamed. And in a sense, his level of shame that he felt was probably proportionate to his moral failure. He had failed morally. There's no excuses, really, for what he did in the same way that we have moral failures, and there are no excuses at times. And here he is, a broken man. And how is Peter restored? How does it all come about that actually his shame and everything else is restored? Well, we read this in John 21, verses 15 to 17. This is one of the incidences that happens after Jesus is raised from the dead. And he specifically gets to Peter, and in these verses we read, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
And I like to speculate that Jesus said this with a little twinkle in his eye and maybe a little smile on his face. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said again, feed my sheep. This is Jesus three times showing that Peter is forgiven for the three times that he just bailed out on Jesus. That moral failure for Jesus. Three times he's forgiven. Three times he's forgiven, he's restored. So when he writes something along the lines in verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins, Peter has absolute personal experience of what that feels like. His absolute experience of that. But this is also the Peter that has witnessed in person God in human form. And what's he seen when he's seen God in human form? He's seen somebody that has suffered, that has gone through shame, time and time again, but relentlessly kept on loving. Relentlessly kept on loving. Doggedly, determinedly, persistently. He keeps on loving. He keeps on loving. He keeps on loving until he ends up on a cross for doing so. So in many respects, Peter has seen in capital letters what he's experienced in lower letters. And he comes and he speaks to us in these verses. So it's unsurprising that actually there are themes for Peter about shame, about suffering, and about forgiveness. And in fact, he talks about suffering about a quarter of the times that the suffering is mentioned in the New Testament. It comes from the letters of Peter. So what does he do when he's reminding us now from this context of what we should do when we follow Jesus? Well, in verse 8, no, in verse 7, he says, the end of things is all near. Therefore, and I'm using the older version of the NIV here, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And I think Peter here is kind of giving us a little bit of a virtuous cycle up here. Peter's virtuous cycle as I like to see it so he's kind of saying look the more we see the world as Jesus sees it the more we will want to be self-controlled and to pray prayer takes discipline most of the time for most of us most of the time for a lot of the time for a lot of us prayer is not intrinsically rewarding Um, the disciples didn't find prayer always intrinsically rewarding Jesus had to Give them parables about being persistent in prayer. But the more we have the mind of Christ, the more we see the world through the way that Jesus sees things, the more we will develop that self-control and we will pray. Our relationship will develop and will get deeper and that will get us more into the mind of Christ and we'll want to hopefully be more immersed in this cycle of Peter. So I think part of what Peter is saying first and foremost is that these are the things 
that should be a priority as we become closer and closer to God and as we go further and further on our Christian walk. And I just want to kind of just put up a slide here of something that I wrote um, day before yesterday. So I was standing yesterday in my dark tool shed. The sun was shining outside and through the crack at the top of the door there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light with the specks of dust floating it was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. Then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw framed in those irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on branches of a tree outside. And beyond that, 90-odd million miles away, the sun. Looking along the beam and looking at the beam are very different experiences. You'll probably know I don't have a shed, and you'll probably realise that that sounds a little bit like C.S. Lewis, um, but Paddy said... I shouldn't quote C.S. Lewis ever again in one of my sermons, so let's just call that plagiarism for now. (laughs) But that's the difference between looking at the beam and looking along the beam. The more clear-minded we are, the more we'll be looking along the beam and not at the beam. I'm just going to put another slide up now. I don't know what you see there. Um, I see just a lot of kind of random dots, a lot of random bits of paint. Not very much at all. Doesn't mean very much. And in some ways, I kind of think in terms of my, and possibly our own day-to-day experience with Jesus, that actually we make decisions, we do things, and sometimes we follow Jesus really well, but actually it just seems maybe a bit like that. Maybe a bit like that. Um... And that's kind of how our mind is. But if we look at the next slide, we'll find that actually what this is, is part of this painting. This really good painting by Seurat, a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande I'm sure you will realize that. One of the greatest neo-impressionistic works of art we have, using for the first time Seurat's pointillism, these little tiny dots. But this is maybe the difference between us having something of the clear-mindedness of Jesus versus what's really going on in the mind of Jesus when we're doing these things, when we are following Jesus, when we are doing a little bit more that's in his will, that actually we're taking part in this. And the more we are clear-minded, the more that we are self-controlled, the more that we pray, the more that we are able to get closer and closer to God and go deeper and deeper in our fellowship with him. To the extent that maybe when we see things through the, the eyes of Jesus, when we go and get our barefoot Merlot from Waitrose or Sainsbury's, or Aldi or Lidl, we get our Merlot, and instead of just, well, this is a, this is a nice wine, we can actually think about, well, 
How is this different to the miracle of Cana when Jesus takes gallons and gallons of water and instantaneously turns them into wine? I've just got water that's come down as rain that God somehow has managed to transfuse through grapes and through a vine and I've ended up with wine. How is that? How is that a lot different to being in the Cana? And Jesus miraculously turning water. He's turning water into wine all the time. Maybe when I go down the street and I see the big issue seller, and I'm assuming this is somebody from Eastern European, European background, in my worst moments I'm thinking, are they a legal or an illegal immigrant? But I still maybe give them some money for their big issue. Instead of that going through my mind, maybe I actually see the person of Jesus standing there, offering me the big issue. Maybe when I look at my bank account, and this month it's in the black, and I'm thinking, great, I've got more money. Maybe I start to have the mind that actually this is not my money. This is just power to do good for others. That happens to be my responsibility. We become more and more clear-minded. And we want to be more and more close to God. And we will do that by doing the things that help that. There's a famous story, or famous, I say a famous story. It's this story about two dogs. You may have heard it. Um, not a very nice story, but let's say about 100 years ago when dogs were allowed to fight each other um, to see who won, and you could bet on it. There are two dogs, Fido and Bruno. And the guy brings Fido and Bruno down every week. The two dogs fight. Everybody bets on who's going to win the fight. And maybe you happen to be lucky and you win or you don't. And each week it just seems pretty random. Sometimes Fido wins, sometimes Bruno wins, sometimes Bruno wins, sometimes Fido wins. Nobody can tell one way or the other. It's kind of, it's just impossible to tell. And yet every single time the owner seems to win money. He seems to bet on the right dog. And after a year of this going on and him winning every single week, one of the persons that's now bankrupt through betting and losing, he thinks, well, I'm just going to ask him. He just gets him to one side and he says to the owner, look, how on earth, how on earth do you manage to get the right dog every time who's going to win this fight? He said, it's easy. He says, I just feed one more than the other during the week. I just feed one more than the other. And I think maybe in these verses here, Peter might be kind of challenging us just about maybe feeding our good dog, as it were, maybe a little bit more when we can. And then he goes on to say, well, what does this mean then when we do this in verses um, 8 and 9? He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. We'll behave more lovingly. But for this morning, I want to just dwell a little bit on verse 11. Because he says here, and this for me is slightly more challenging, if anybody speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So yes, we should serve. Yes, we should love in our behavior. 
But if anybody speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Peter is encouraging us to speak. He's encouraged us to speak the love of God and the truth of God. And the difficulty there is what he then tells us in verses 14 and verses 12, what will happen. At least at times this will happen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If we speak the love and the truth of God in particular, it is likely that at least at times, if not a lot of the time, there will be a negative social judgment as a consequence. There will be a negative social judgment as a consequence. And in Peter's time, um, they were suffering. And suffering in Peter's time would have looked like to everybody else, like moral failure, like you were a loser, if you were suffering, you were a loser, you were scum, you were a degenerate, you were low status. There was a shame associated with suffering. Well, our social discomfort probably won't be like that. But it will be that people will probably feel that we're a little bit stupid, they're a little bit naive. People might think that we just believe in fairy stories, haven't really thought things through. We're a little bit unsophisticated. Or they might think that we're a bigot, or that we are judgmental. But there will be a negative social judgment, at times at least, when we speak the love and the truth of God. And at those times we may feel like strangers. And as we looked at last week, this, this letter is actually addressed to us, to strangers, to God's elect. So 1 Peter 1 verse 1, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, strangers in the world. We will feel like strangers at times when we speak the love and the truth of God. And so what does Peter say in response to that? What should our response be when we have this negative social judgment, when we suffer in this way because we have spoken the love and the truth of God? Well, Peter's very straightforward, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and carry on, and carry on, and carry on doing good, just as Jesus did unrelentlessly, kept on loving, kept on loving. And that love was both truth and love. We carry on doing good with God's strength. But then he says something also very remarkable in verse 13. Not just that we carry on doing this good in God's strength. We carry on relentlessly loving, carry on relentlessly speaking words of truth and love. But he says in verse 13, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Wow. I can just about think about, yeah, maybe I could carry on doing that stuff with negative social judgment, with God's help. Rejoice, though. Peter says we can rejoice, because in a sense, when we experience that suffering through doing the things of Jesus, we are closer to Jesus. We are closer to understanding the unrelentless love that Jesus has for everybody, regardless of the social consequences, regardless of the social judgment. 
That's how we can rejoice in some mysterious way. We know Jesus more through those kinds of sufferings, the kinds of sufferings where we have done something right for Jesus. We have loved for Jesus. We have said the truth for Jesus. And in many ways, I think Paul's hinting here that it frees us from the perceptions of others, which for all of us, at times at least, will be things that inhibit us from doing the things that we should do for Jesus. And it may be that he's hinting here that some of the greatest treasures spiritually are found in the darkest places when we've suffered for Jesus' sake. So, maybe what Peter is saying to us this morning is keep on speaking the love and the truth. Keep on speaking. Of course we do this with gentleness and respect. But even so, we will have negative social judgment at times. And I think you'd say keep doing that when it's easy to do that, when maybe we're talking to children or people who are younger than us or subordinates at work where actually, yes, okay, it's hard, but actually that's kind of the easier people, but we should also do it when it's hard with those people of higher status than us, those people we want to impress, our bosses, the people that could make us look stupid. I think Peter would say, keep on doing it with God's strength. Keep feeding the dog. So, as we finish this morning, let's just pray maybe for a little bit love, but also for a little bit more courage that we would have God's grace to do these things just a little bit more. Amen.